with a desire that God has, which may surprise you. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. God wants us to be godly. He wants us to grow. He wants us to exercise in godliness. Okay, godliness is to think like God. Literally, that's what it means. Isn't that kind of arrogant, Pastor? No, no, it's what God wants us to do. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. God wants us to think like God. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say let this world know me by your love. Someone once quipped, to talk without thinking is to shoot without aiming. Sounds like a challenge and a call for discipline. But then we're also told we're to think like God. Is that even possible? It is. And we'll discover how today on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're so glad you're with us and we continue in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Last time we were together, we heard how legalism is a pseudo-discipline that robs us. On today's broadcast, we'll discover the joy of true discipline and the grace God gives for it. Starting with verse 5, here's Pastor Ed. Sanctified, of course, hagazizomo means to be set aside. You're being set aside right now. Faith comes by hearing the word. That in, you are in process. I am in process. God is moving us towards him that we are being set aside more and more all through our lives for his use. We are a vessel for his use, and we get a little closer the more we come to God and listen to his word. He's talking about praying for food, right? He says, sanctified by the command of God in prayer. So when you and I say grace, as many call it, praying for our food, something happens. Now, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, Things, material things, were either holy or common. And if it was holy, it was sanctified, same word. It was set aside for use for God. If it was common, not so. But if you took something holy and touched it to something that was common, it became common. For example, if you took a fork from the, you were a priest working at the altar and you dropped the fork, it hits the ground, ground is common, it becomes unusable until you go through some rituals to make it sanctified, to make it not common anymore, to make it undesecrated, to consecrate it to the Lord. So that's what's going on here. So what was made common has become blessed by God. Now, it's a command by the command of God, and he's probably referring to Genesis 1, when God said, everything is good. I have commanded you, Genesis 1:29, give you every herb and every tree of every tree to eat. Now, this is where it locks some people up, but God is saying it is available. And when you pray, God covers it. I have a good friend who's a pastor, and anytime we eat a meal together and he prays, he always prays that God would take the calories out. It's not working for him or me, so that's not what God is talking about. Jesus blessed the food in Luke chapter 9 and 24, 30, but Paul is talking about something bigger here. He's saying what God has created, he's created for us. This is a very expansionist statement. 
God wants you to enjoy what he made. He made the earth and everything that's in it and said it is good, except for the man part, and then he said it's not good for him to be alone. But we understand that. So everything on this earth is good. God has set it aside, consecrated it to you and I. This is particularly about the area of marriage and the area of foods. But G.K. Chesterton got that. And here's this little poem he wrote on this verse. He said, you say grace before meals, that's good, that's right. But I say grace before the play and the opera, and I say grace before opening a book, before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing. I said grace before I dipped this pen in this ink to write what he was doing. That's the picture that Paul has in mind, I believe. He wants us to approach everything in life as it's by God. It was given by God. There is a time for self-denial and discipline. In fact, he's going to talk about it in the next few verses. But the general statement is God built it, this earth, for you, that he intended for you to enjoy double dark Dutch chocolate at the 31 flavors. That's a good thing. Well, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. You get a stomachache, right? But he's saying aestheticism to get closer to God is anathema. It's not of God. He's saying enjoy what God has given you. Right. So, verse 6, and if you instruct, teach the brethren, the brothers and sisters in these things, you'll be a good minister, servant, literally, of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. So he's talking about Timothy being a conduit of God's grace to others by his teaching. Now, he was raised, we'll learn a little further along, by a godly mother and grandmother. And he has learned these things from his youth. And Paul is saying, that's good, and now you're pouring it into other people. He's being criticized. He's having a hard time. We've seen already as we've worked our way through this letter, he's a young pastor, and you don't want to offend people, but sometimes they offend you and drag you down. You will be criticized if you're an active Christian, if you're living out your faith. You don't have to say a thing. You just have to back out of a, a dirty joke at work, guys, and they'll start razzing you about it. That there are ways that you have to back out that you can't help but be seen by other people. I was reading this week about the man who was in charge of the Panama Canal. He was a believer, was receiving all kinds of criticism. His last name was Gothalis, I believe it's pronounced, but Colonel George Gothalis was the engineer, and they ran into all kinds of problems. Mosquitoes, you read the history books, you remember from junior high, it, it just took three times longer than they thought it would. There were all kinds of issues with moving dirt, you know, in the, that era, didn't have the equipment we have today, and everybody expected him to fail. And all these newspapers were putting this fake news about him. Sorry, that just came out. <laughs> and wasn't the truth that was being published, that's not a new problem either. And so there would be a lot of backlash. So his friend, engineer in the ranch, he said, uh, George, why don't you just answer these critics? He said, I will in time. I said, what do you mean in time? You don't have any time. That's happening right now. He said, I will down the road. What do you mean down the road? When I finish the canal. And that's what he did. He was a man who was doing what he needed to do, and he knew that God was leading him in it, and evidently was, and God blessed his life. He had a call of God in his life to dig a ditch, right? 
but he stuck to it. And the real strength of spirituality is found in long-term commitment to a goal and getting there. You will be a good servant, and you are nourishing others. So part of your and my job as we pursue godliness is that we would cross-pollinate other people. What? that you are called to share Christ with other people and what God has been teaching you. And it's good for you, it's good for me to do that. So I was watching these hummingbirds this week, thinking about this pollination, and started doing some reading. Now, hummingbird, interesting little bird. You know, we got them all over California. Many of you are probably feeding them, although I don't think you have to because my wife seems to be feeding all of them in California. They all come to our house, took a dip in sugar production in Hawaii to keep them going. So these little hummingbirds, they fly backwards, they hover in place like a helicopter, and they're just the sign of they eat nectar, right? An occasional bug, but mostly nectar. Well, there's a, Thria is the name of the, the genus of flowers. There's 116 species in the world. You don't, need, you don't need to know all that. But the point is, there's this little red flower, some of you probably have them in your yard wild, that is uniquely fitted to the hummingbird. It has this little trumpet-shaped flower that's got a curve in it. No other insect, no other bird can get into it. It has nectar right at the very bottom. And so this little hummingbird pulls right up to it, got a little curve in his beak. Now you can go watch this, it's hilarious. They come up and they scoop their way into it to get the nectar. And when they come back out, they look, they were covered with pollen. Their foreheads, their little cheeks, their chest. Look like somebody threw a handful of flour at them, all right? And they back out, and then they look around. Other hummingbirds are laughing at them. And then they fly over to the next house and do the same thing. And all this pollination is going on between these various plants all over the world. They can fly 500 miles without stopping, little hummingbirds. And they are impacting cross-pollinating everywhere they go. You are a hummingbird, all right? Didn't hear anything else this morning. Take that one home. Take it to the bank. You are like a hummingbird. Moving on, verse 7. But reject profane and old wives' fables. I wish he hadn't said wives. And exercise yourself towards godliness. Okay, another no man's land, treacherous area here. Amen. <laughs> reject profane. It's... Uh, Literally godless ideas, the opposite of godly ones. Okay, so God wants us to be godly. He wants us to grow. He wants us to exercise in godliness. Okay, godliness is to think like God. Literally, that's what it means. Isn't that kind of arrogant, Pastor? No, no, it's what God wants us to do. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. God wants us to think like God. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's describing God's desire for us to be like Him and to think like Him. To elaborate and conclude today's lesson from 1 Timothy chapter 4, once again, here's Pastor Ed. Now, over and over again, God says you need to have the mind of Christ. Whatever things are good, whatever things are holy, whatever things are just, think on these things. You see, it's our mind, it's our heart, where all the battle is going on. And so when we exercise godliness, he's not talking about sweating. 
even though he uses the word gymnasium here, he's talking about it as a workout. It takes energy to keep your mind focused on things of God. Now, we live in a culture that lets our minds go anywhere and everywhere. It's called self-control. If you're less than 30, you've probably never heard that word before. I'm teasing you. Millennials have not had a lot of models, a lot of people who have shown that. You don't hear that very often. Self-control and thinking like God. Whatever things are real, it says literally there. The real deal, not fantasy, not fake. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about fables, non-Christian fables, uh, old wives' tales, literally. The Greek word is muthos. It's where we get our English word myths. Now, he's talking about the Talmud, no doubt. Remember, Paul was a Jewish rabbi, and he uh, was a member, we believe, of the Sanhedrin, the great high council. And he's saying the Talmud, the collection of Jewish stories, written mostly in the Middle Ages, starting at about 400, all the way up through 1400. And they're fantastically ridiculous stories, all right? If you're Jewish, I'm sorry, we can talk about it. I've got a set of them upstairs, and we can look at some of them. And there's just no way uh, that they have anything to do with history or reality. So, Paul is saying that when you focus on things that are fables, not real, and there's a thousand ways to go in our modern culture with that, the internet, texting, movies, novels, how many people can I offend? Let's just keep going here. He's not saying you can't do any of those things, but be careful. Put your mind towards the right thing. Get control of your heart. And it takes energy. It is, in fact, a task that doesn't come easily. In fact, it takes a long time. Now, we live in the nation that discovered microwaves, instant potatoes, and a thousand other instant things. We want spirituality incident-free and in an instant. Well, it requires time. Sanctification is a process. You and I have to take time. That's what he's saying. Exercise yourself in godliness. That means you got to get out of bed in the morning, get blanket victory, and get up and crack open the Bible and read a little bit. You have to come. Look, you're doing one. You're here this morning. Congratulations. You got to church. Forsake not the fellowship of believers. We need to be around other believers. We need to get involved in small group studies. We need to set ourselves up for success in following Jesus. That's all he's saying here. Exercise your grace. What? You see, nobody gets into the kingdom, nor do they stay in the kingdom out of their own efforts. You have to have the gift of grace. God gives the gift to anyone who will ask. Without spending too much time on this, because we don't have enough, when we were in Romans, if you were with us, Paul just talks about grace. He's called the apostle of grace. Romans 5, 17, the second half of that verse, is a critical one for what we're talking about here. Grace is a gift that comes from God, but you must receive it. What? God's giving it, but you have to open up your arms, open up your heart, open up your mind to receive it. Got a scripture for that? Yes, 517. Those who receive his abounding grace and gift of righteousness shall reign through the one Christ Jesus. What? Those who receive, Lord, give me more grace. 
I need more grace. You see, grace is more than we can receive. Those who receive his abounding grace, more than you can hold, more than I can hold. But our capacity for grace increases the more we take it in. Do you pray for grace? I pray for grace every day. I say, grace, Lord, more grace, 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 grace. I need grace. I prayed for a lot of grace this week. It was one of those weeks, just a crazy week. I want to receive your grace, Lord. You're giving it. I know you are more than I can contain. So I want to receive your grace and gift of righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. You can't do enough good things. You can't not eat enough rattlesnake that if God will accept you or think you're more spiritual, you receive the gift of grace and his gift of righteousness, and you'll reign in life through the one, Christ Jesus. You won't be under the circumstances, you'll rise above them. That's what he's challenging us to do. Exercise yourself in the grace of God, in the life of the Holy Spirit. Regularly spend time with the Lord. Spend some time with him. Godliness, this special concern of Paul, is all over this letter, but it's basically your mind the way God thinks. Hmm. For bodily exercise, verse 8, profits a little. Godliness, there's that word again, is profitable for all things, having promised of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So again, the word gymnastics here, gumithon, literally, Godly exercise profits for a little while, it could be translated. You see, Paul isn't despising bodily exercise. He says it's good for a while. Add a few years to your life. Granted, it adds it at the wrong end of our life, but it does give us a longer life. But Paul is talking about far better to discipline yourself spiritually than get sidetracked with the diversions of this life. Now, the evangelist George Whitfield, 1700s, wrote about an event that really struck me. He said he was watching a group of men get into a cart, and they were handcuffed, and he realized that they were criminals, and this horse-drawn cart was going to take them to the gallows to be hanged. But he said what struck him about it was these, as these guys are climbing in, they start jostling, fighting among themselves about who would sit in the seat closest to the driver. He said, here were men condemned to die that very day, but their focus was on who got the best seat on the way to the execution. I know a lot of people like that who are so focused on the things of this world that are going to pass away who do not even think about God. I was that person for the first 26 years of my life. I didn't see that eternity is staring at all of us. Now, when I was just starting to teach, I, I came upon a quote by a Puritan pastor, Richard Baxter is the guy's name. He said, I preach as though I might never preach again, and as a dying man speaking to dying people. Two things, he's saying, I preach as if I'm speaking this morning as if I may never see you again. Now, whether that's because I die tomorrow or this evening or one of you die, but in a church this large, it happens almost every week around here. Wow, that hurt. No, no, it's meant to push us back to reality. We train people professionally. We train people educationally. We train people athletically, teach people financially, yet we want 
spirituality without training. No, no, it requires training. It requires godliness. Look at the last verse. Here's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Literally says, this statement is something you can trust. Evidently, the statement before, verse 8, is in fact a, a secular saying. Paul records it here and then says, it's a good saying. It's practical. It's something that we need to recognize. A promise of this life now and that is to come. You see, in the first century in Rome, throughout the Roman Empire, there was a, a movement away from exercise and the Olympics to more philosophy. Uh, young uh, Greek men were no longer training to be in the Olympics as much as they used to, and they were being more concerned about an education in their mind. Paul is saying they're, be, they're more concerned about eternity than the temporal things of this world. This is a good thing. It is a right thing to be focused on. We're only here for a short time, and then we're gone. Samson, Old Testament, a guy who knew the Lord, who had a relationship with him, but he never exercised his self towards godliness. He never got control. He never got discipline in his own life. He was constantly chasing after women, and he ended up chained, shackled, and pushing a, a grinding wheel around, just like an oxen or something. So Absalom, David's son, brilliant kid, evidently, really great at uh, politics, and, and people liked him. They said he was strikingly handsome. He was a warrior, but he never got control of his own life. He was going to be king, but he couldn't wait. And so he tried to overthrow his own father, King David, and was killed by David's captain. So we get the gift of life, and God wants us to be aware of what we're supposed to do with that and focus on that and not worry so much about this life but about eternity. You are a conduit. You are an aqueduct of God's blessing. What? We'll close with this. Hey, go to Israel with us. Actually, all over the Middle East and much of Europe, particularly Spain, Italy, the Romans built aqueducts. Go to Israel, you'll see the one that they brought water from a long way away, 140 miles down to the city of Jerusalem. It was dry there. There wasn't enough water for the people that were there. So they brought this water in so everyone could live there. And it's true in all over the Middle East and definitely true in Europe. You go to Italy, there's 2,000-year-old aqueducts. You are an aqueduct. Like Timothy, God wants you to present the gospel to others. You are a hummingbird. God wants you to pollinate other people. He's calling you to do that. The more time you spend in God's Word, the more time that you spend exercising towards godliness, the more effective you'll be and the more blessed you'll be in this life and the one to come. A timely challenge Pastor Ed Ray has given us today on Grow in Grace to embrace the call as an aqueduct, bringing the water of life to those around you who are thirsty. For a CD copy of today's message, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on iTunes as well. We can hook you up with many more resources to help you grow in grace when you visit thepackinghouse.org, like Pastor Ed's devotional. Speaking of resources, today we'd like to make special mention of Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, authored by renowned surgeon 
Dr. Paul Brand, and Philip Yancey. Together they explore the human body and uncover statements that God has made about our bodies. They point out that the human body is like a window into the very structure of God's creation and a testament to God's glory. This month, we'll send this to those of you who support Grow in Grace with a donation of any amount. You might think of it as our way of saying thanks. Please remember that your gifts help us to bring Pastor Ed's teachings to the radio every day. To make a year-end contribution, go online at thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. And it's a real blessing when we hear back from our listening audience. Whether it's a word of affirmation or a comment related to the study, a question or a prayer request, we want to hear from you. Drop us an email today. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us next time as together we grow in grace through a study in First and Second Timothy with Pastor Ed Ray. May God richly bless you. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your 